It's a, am I, am I on? Okay. Okay. And it's a delight uh, to be here worshiping with you all uh, this morning. We're actually wrapping up our preaching series this morning. Uh, we've spent five weeks in a preaching series called Rooted in the Gospel as we've unpacked our church's what we call supplies, those, those graces that God has given us to be a people who reflect his goodness uh, to us in Christ. And this morning, we'll be focusing on our final supply invitation. As we do, uh, we're going to be considering together Romans chapter 15. So if you'd like to turn with me there uh, to Romans 15, we'll just read the first seven verses in Romans 15, 1 to 7. And this is the word of the Lord. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. This is the word of the Lord. And let's pray together. Our good Father in heaven, we do ask that you would speak to us this morning, that you would open our ears and our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word, that through the endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we would have hope in Christ. So, Lord, speak through this preacher and may Jesus and his name be lifted high in this place and in our hearts this morning, we pray in his name. Amen. If you've ever been to a different country, you've probably noticed that not only was the language different, but there were different expectations, different practices, different ways of interacting, and all of it was very different. <laughs> uh, for instance, in France, you might be greeted with a kiss, even from the same gender. In Japan, if you don't slurp your noodles loudly, your host might think you're not enjoying them. If you point at someone in Malaysia, they'll probably be very offended and instead will point with their thumb. And definitely don't flash a backward peace sign to any British people. That's not a good thing. <laughs> if we're going to get along with people who are different than us, we must be willing to surrender our own assumptions and ideas. Now, of course, our cultural differences aren't the only things that can make it challenging to love and care for others. In our sermon today, as we finish up our series through our church's supplies, joy, unity, transparency, and invitation, we'll see that our barriers to connecting with others often go way deeper than we realize. 
Because it's not just our differences that come between us. Friends, ultimately, our hope, our only hope, is to be people rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this morning, as we consider the Apostles Paul's exhortation in Romans 15, we'll focus on what it is and what it means to be a people who have been welcomed by grace. And so, three points will guide us through our sermon this morning. First, our pleasure. Second, Christ's pleasure. And third, pleasing others. And what we're meant to take away from this message is that Christians have been freely welcomed by God. And in turn, we must also freely welcome others for his glory. Christians have been freely welcomed by God. And so in turn, we must freely welcome others for his glory. And so first, our pleasure Look at verses 1 and 2. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. What is this passage talking about? Who are the strong? Uh, Who are the weak? Who are we supposed to be pleasing exactly here? Well, we need a little bit of context to understand these instructions coming from Paul. Uh, Because in the previous chapter, chapter 14, the discussion was all about matters of conscience, things that the scriptures don't teach very clearly. Uh, And the weaker Christians were the ones who believed it was sinful to eat meat that had been offered to idols. They thought that by participating, they would somehow be participating in the worship of a false god, and they didn't want to do that. While the stronger believers were the ones who received their food with thankfulness to God, not asking you know, about the origin or you know, what, it, what had been done with it. The weaker believers would abstain from wine. They were very devoted to celebrating certain holy days, while the stronger ones uh, enjoyed wine responsibly and didn't keep all the ritual days. The reason I give you that background is because the main point in chapter 14 is that the stronger and weaker brothers are both doing what they're doing for God's honor. They want to please the Lord. They want to honor their God. And so here Paul is instructing the stronger to bear with the weaker. Refraining even from their freedom for eating that meat that was offered to idol or drinking the wine Um, in order to care for the one uh, who believes it is wrong to do so. They have the freedom, but they're giving it up willingly, right? That's, That's what Paul is calling them to. And so we also should give up our rights in order to love and serve others rather than standing in judgment over them, which can be far too easy. But God alone is our judge, And so here, Paul is calling the Roman church to seek to please their neighbors, to build them up. We actually see this kind of neighboring modeled in Acts 28, but it might not be uh, what you're expecting. In Acts 28, we read about the natives of the island of Malta um, and how Paul, as a Roman prisoner, was shipwrecked on a reef right off the coast of this island. Um, And if you remember, the story tells us that the native people on the island welcomed these prisoners. Um, And the guards, they they offered them shelter and 
and a warm fire. It was very cold uh, in what the text calls an act of unusual kindness. What a picture, an unexpected picture of neighborly love. And that for a bunch of rotten criminals, right? These were, <laughs> these were prisoners in a Roman prison who were being transported. But it's not the norm, right? This kind of thing is unusual. Why? Why is it so unusual to see this kindness? Well, it's because the natural inclination of each of our hearts, every human heart, is not neighbor love, but it's selfishness. The selfishness that lives in our hearts is so natural, it's so pervasive, it goes all throughout that we often don't even notice it. Even when we seek to please others and serve them, often we end up just serving our own interests because we do it so that we'll get something in return. But scripture warns us repeatedly against the selfish tendency that we all have. Jesus himself taught in Luke 6, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Friends, the problem is not that we find pleasure in the good things that God has given us. The problem is that we find our pleasure ultimately for ourselves rather than for God and our neighbor. I don't feel like we need to spend a lot of time proving this point because we see it all around us. It's especially clear in kids. But I think that's only because they're not as good as, at hiding it as adults are. But at the end of the day, our selfishness is unacceptable before God. Philippians 2.4 Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 1 Corinthians 10 Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. But the thing is, right, we do seek our own selfish interests. And if anyone gets in our way, watch out. James 4, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Romans 2.8 For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Friends, our pleasure is deeply corrupted by selfishness. When our actions and our words, our thoughts and our motives are rooted in our own interests, we miss the mark. And all we're left with is judgment 
and death. Who can free us from our bondage to ourselves? Our second point, Christ's pleasure. Verse 3 says, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. You see, as it is written, always is a reference back to a quotation from the Old Testament, right? So where is this coming from? It's Psalm 69. And if we look at the whole verse that he quotes, it helps fill out the explanation. Psalm 69, verse 9. Zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. Now, this verse might sound familiar to some of you because it is often quoted, actually several times in the New Testament, as a prophetic reference to Jesus, right? Zeal for the house of God consumed him, even as he drove out the money changers from the temple. Well, the context of the psalm makes clear, though, that as Paul is quoting it here, the you that the insults have fallen on is God. Jesus didn't live for his own pleasure, seeking his own selfish desires. Jesus, as the Lord of all, had every right to remain in his heavenly glory and to judge all mankind for their sin and wickedness and their selfish desires. He could have demanded the worship that was his due from all his creatures that he had made and cast out anyone who would not bow the knee. But friends, that's not what he did. Jesus took our insults, all the sin that we have committed against God, all the voices that called out against him, all the mockery of his suffering and pain. Even though we are the ones who have insulted God, the weight of our insults and our sin and our shame have fallen on our Savior, Jesus. And so when he died on that cross, friends, he bore the penalty that our sins deserved, the wrath and fury that would be ours for the deep selfishness that we've had was placed on Jesus as he hung from that tree. Why? Why would he do this? It was his pleasure to do so. It was his pleasure to face the cruel cross, to rescue us from ourselves. It was his pleasure to welcome us into his family, even though it cost him his life. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, hear this. 
Jesus is not merely our example, but he is the power to die to the selfishness that we have that so enslaves us and to live for God. Not only has he shown us what it looks like to do this, but he has broken our chains, the chains of our sin and guilt, so that we can be people who are truly redeemed by the blood of God's own Son and can find life in him. Friends, we have been welcomed by an amazingly loving and gracious Redeemer. And so Paul continues, in light of this, in verse 4, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. You see, it's the word of God that reveals the saving pleasure of Christ. Even the Old Testament scriptures point us to the good news of Jesus, like we saw in Psalm 69. And so we have encouragement. We have endurance for the the difficult things of life from this gospel message that ultimately gives us hope. And friends, this is a hope that we will not remain as we are today. Hope that our selfishness will not have the final word. Hope that even though we die, yet we will live because Christ has gone before us. He has conquered the grave. He rose again on the third day and gave us of his Holy Spirit. Only in the gospel, friends, do we find the strength to truly love and welcome others. Only the gospel has the power to make Christ's pleasure our pleasure. And that finds its practical outworking in our third point. Our our pleasures have been corrupted by selfishness, but Christ's pleasure was to save and redeem us from that so that we might please others. Our third point. Look with me at verses five and six. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, our unity in Christ, our transparency that we share with one another, and the joy that empowers all of our praise to the Lord all come into play here. (laughs) All of our supplies. This call to please our neighbor comes with a foundation. And God is the one who ultimately gives all of these things. He gives us a gospel foundation that can give us encouragement and endurance for the hard work of love. Now verse seven, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Honestly, the word accepted translated here only scratches the surface of what the Greek word is actually getting at. It's talking about welcoming, being invited along, received as a guest, gathered together. And so our duty to welcome others isn't about pleasing ourselves. 
It isn't about pleasing others instead of pleasing God. It's about seeking the pleasure of others instead of our own. And so to truly love our neighbor, friends, is not just to be politically correct, to you know, be careful of what you're, what you're saying around them, but to willingly give up your rights for their good, to lovingly accommodate to their interests. And so we are to welcome each other as Christ has welcomed us. This still isn't easy. We are messy people. Selfishness still lives in the dark corners of our hearts, so we need to be wise about how we love our neighbors so that we are actually helping them instead of hurting them. But we all struggle with different forms of bitterness or disunity, trying to hide in the darkness. But remember, God has welcomed you by faith in Christ, despite your mess, despite selfish desires. And if that is true, how can we seek to love and welcome our neighbor in response to his lavish grace and love to us, even though it'll cost us something? Even the pagans on Malta were welcoming to a bunch of imprisoned strangers. And certainly we who know Christ can do even better. And so I want to offer three applications, three possible thoughts of what this could look like to really welcome each other. First, we can, we can welcome people as a church with our hospitality. We can invite someone over to our home. I mean, that's a great way to make someone feel welcomed. And I'm encouraged by how many of you are already doing this. It's a way to share some of what God has given you with, with someone else, to, to serve them and, and just see what God does. As a church together, we can be hospitable as we engage others in conversation after the service. Uh, we can offer to pour someone a cup of coffee or give them uh, you know, some help with getting their children into stepping stones if that's what they'd like to do. It's amazing though, I've only been here just a little over a year now, but how many people have told me how welcoming and loving our church is. And that is so encouraging. Um, and I hope you all have experienced that, at least to some extent. But let's continue in that way, brothers and sisters. Let's continue to be a welcoming and hospitable church. How can you be a part of that here at JVC? So we can be hospitable. Second, we can welcome others by inviting them to join us at church. Part of my own story is that when I was a rebellious 18-year-old, um, just living a life in darkness, a neighbor who didn't know me from Adam, I had just, just moved in, had invited me to come to his church, of which he spoke very highly. The thing is, it took several months until I actually took him up on his offer, and I don't think he even realized <laughs> until maybe after a month I started coming um, that I had been there. An invitation to church is a simple but powerful thing that God can use to make a connection with someone. 
And you never know how God will use it. We can be hospitable. We can invite someone to church. And third, we can just look for practical ways to meet the needs of our neighbors as we come, become aware of them. So I want to ask you, what, what do your neighbors need right now? Do you know them well enough to answer that question? You who have been welcomed by God, how might you welcome your neighbor? Perhaps you could offer to share what God has done in your life. You could share your own story of how he is at work and what he has shown you about himself and maybe that'll spark a conversation about spiritual things. But we can welcome others into the love of Jesus by sharing that love in word and in deed. So pray for opportunities, friends. Pray for an awareness and pray that God would give you the courage to step up and take advantage of those opportunities and, and know that you don't have to do it alone, right? We support one another. We can help one another. We can encourage one another in the mission that Christ has called us to. But keep your eyes open and see what opportunities God might give you to welcome others for his glory. Because that's what it's ultimately about, right? It's not about us. It's not about doing, just doing the Christian duty, right? Loving and welcoming and accepting and inviting our neighbors isn't the end in itself. It's the glory of God. To make his name famous, to make him and show him to be the one who is ultimately worthy. Because when we live as people who are perfectly loved and accepted and welcomed by Christ, and we seek to welcome others in that same way, that is pleasing to God. He loves that. He delights in that. He loves to show his kindness through us. And so when Christ's pleasure becomes our pleasure, his glory is revealed in our love for each other. And so may that glory of Christ be our heart's deepest desire as we Learn to experience the full and true life that is found in him alone. And so, brothers and sisters, to, to wrap up, Christian, you have been welcomed freely by God. And so now you must and we must welcome others for his glory. We're all different people. We have different tastes, cultures, different struggles, perspectives, different languages. But God is at work welcoming people from every tribe, tongue, and nation together into his everlasting family. So let us welcome the poor, the afflicted, the outcast, the stranger, even as we hope for that day that day that is coming when everything that now divides us will in one way beautifully unite us and the fullness of God's glory is revealed. Amen. Let's bow in prayer.